Hello, and thank you for joining us for another installment of Podcast 360. I'm your moderator, Melinda Stevens, with the Rheumatology Consultant. With us today is Dr. Iris Navarro-Mian from Hospital for Special Surgery in New York. She will be speaking about shared decision-making in rheumatoid arthritis. Can you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Iris Navarro-Mian, and I am a rheumatologist at Hospital for Special Surgery. Division of Rheumatology, and also the Division of General Internal Medicine at Wild Cornell Medicine in New York City. Great. Thank you for joining us today. Can you briefly discuss what shared decision-making entails and why it is important? What I will start saying is that shared decision-making is a means to an end. This was actually uh, defined by an article recently published in JAMA by Beach et al., it was a viewpoint in JAMA, September 2019. And I really like that uh, description because it's a way where physicians and patients come together to make a final decision. And there are several key elements to the component or the process, actually, of shared decision-making. A key component is also knowledge. We as physicians have knowledge that Patients do not necessarily have or do not understand about their diseases or about their treatment and so forth. And that is why they are actually seeing us in clinic. So the goal is actually to make sure that that information and that knowledge is communicated to patients so that also patients can articulate what will be their preferences. But they cannot articulate their preferences about one treatment or another or what would like their arthritis to look like if they don't have necessary knowledge to articulate those goals and perspectives and opinions about their treatment options. Another important component is actually how this information is delivered to patients. And previously, in some of the qualitative studies that we have done with patients, patients really trust the rheumatologist and see the rheumatologist as the major source of information. Unfortunately, there are many time constraints during the clinical encounter for us to deliver that information during the 15-20 minute clinical encounter. So it is important to elaborate, be a little bit creative of using other platforms or other instruments to deliver this information. For example, here at Wild Cornell General Internal Medicine, we are developing a platform called the patient-activated learning systems, where specific questions are actually posted online where patients can read about it or watch a video. And that information can actually be obtained outside of the clinical encounter so that the patient, when the patient comes back to the physician visit, then they can articulate better what are their goals for their treatment options that they have. Third, I think that another important component in the shared decision-making process is the use of shared decision-making tools. This is very in line with my previous point because a shared decision-making tool provides a script for the clinician to elicit some of the preferences in the patient and also for the clinician to be prepared on how to respond to several different preferences and to communicate better so that the patient understands these are the results of choosing this medication versus this other one. And these are the recent benefits of treatment X versus treatment Y. And in that way, we are incorporating the patient 
in that their decision making process. And this is something that might take several uh, visits. So that is why I am calling it a process rather than a single thing that occurred during one clinical encounter. And some of these aspects that I have been delineating here should be actually uh, taken into consideration that might not happen in, in a single basis. Lastly, it's also important to understand when shared decision-making is not needed because overloading the clinical encounter, it can be stressful, it can be tiresome for both the patient and the physician. And one example where shared decision-making is not necessarily needed is when there is an emergency. A patient just showed up with fever, tachycardia, is having a pneumonia, you need to start an antibiotic, but you don't need to necessarily engage in the shared decision-making about which antibiotic or another because there is a sense of urgency. So that is also an important aspect to take into consideration in the shared decision-making. And the goal is to make sure that both parties, especially the physician, had articulated well the knowledge that they have so that the patient is well-informed and then they can articulate back to the clinician what are the preferences and goals for the treatment options and the long-term you know, outcomes of rheumatoid arthritis. Why is it important for rheumatologists to understand the perspectives of their patients that they are treating? The importance for rheumatologists to understand patients' preferences is because rheumatoid arthritis is a lifestyle disease. It's not like you have pneumonia, you finish an antibiotic after seven days, you're cured, you don't need to take a medication. And well, the better we understand the preferences of our patients with rheumatoid arthritis in regards to their treatment, the more likely is that we can achieve an agreement where the patient feels empowered and that this was indeed their decision so that they can be the more compliant. And compliance is a very important uh, aspect of the treatment of rheumatoid arthritis to prevent long-term detrimental outcomes or poor outcomes. And the more empowered the patient is about their, de their decision of choosing the medication, the more likely is that they will be agreeing to then take a particular medication. What are the current barriers to understanding patient perspectives and care? Unfortunately, I would say it is time. Time constraints, as I mentioned earlier, clinical encounter between 15, 20 minutes, luckily maximum 30. This is a challenge Well, when you have, as a clinician, to address multiple problems in a patient and the patient has multiple issues to discuss with you and finally you need to make a decision. It's definitely easy for me to say, I am recommending this treatment because it's going to be good for you than just going into actually the process of eliciting all the preferences of the patient uh, so that then we can find common ground. So I still favor that the inclusion of the patient in the decision-making. And uh, I think it is important to encourage patients and guide the patients to look up adequate sources of information that can be vetted by us so that they can articulate also their preferences better. And the other challenge is that many patients cannot articulate their preferences very well, again, because they did not have the adequate knowledge. So they have to be educated, and they have to be educated, but they have to get a follow-up or a confirmation of this knowledge that they recently obtained by the clinician, and that what they are saying and what they have learned is indeed true and valid because there is a lot of misinformations and misconceptions that patients learn 
out and when they share those with you, these are not necessarily correct. So this takes time. This takes several encounters. And I think that another challenge I, I would say is patients don't know what they don't know. If I expect a patient to tell me what are their preferences and they cannot articulate those well, I should not assume that uh, they have no preferences, so it doesn't matter. And, and it does matter to make sure that they are able to learn about this aspect. And finally, I think that another challenge for the use for, the under, for understanding patients' perspectives in the care of rheumatoid arthritis is that there are several shared decision-making tools in the making, but they're still not readily uh, available for for the clinician. So more studies of actual tools are needed so that physician can um, use them in clinical practice and engage better in the shared decision-making with their patients with rheumatoid arthritis. Which patient reported outcomes are the most important ones for rheumatologists to inform their treatment recommendations? In a series of nominal groups that we did with rheumatologists that where we asked them specifically about what were the signs and symptoms that were important for them to inform their treatment recommendations. The highest signs and symptoms were morning stiffness, tender and swollen joint counts, and function. So those instruments that capture this type of information are actually the health assessment questionnaire, which uh, capture function, and the radar and radi, which capture the number of swollen and joint count and the, number, the level of morning stiffness. So I would say that these are the three main aspects that matter to rheumatologists based on our small study. However, why does this matter? Why a patient reported outcome has to do with certain decision making? A series of focus groups that we did with patients with rheumatoid arthritis regarding collecting patient reported outcomes between visits, they said that they did not feel that they were going to complete these questionnaires unless the physician pay attention to them or act on it. So we decided, well, which are those three? And it happens that it's radar, radi, and hack, the three main patient reported outcomes that um, matters the most to, or, or that capture the information that matters to the most to rheumatologists. So the goal is that let's make sure that we, if we want to collect patient reported outcomes, as part of the clinical care of patients with rheumatoid arthritis, we still need to make sure that we align what is valuable for clinicians to make their recommendations back to the patient, but that the patient does not get overburned with a bunch of forms that the clinician will be dismissive because they express a lot of frustration and disregard of their preferences when physicians did that. So let's make sure that everything is, is aligned and based on the things that matter, to both patients and clinicians, then they can use the patient-reported outcomes to inform them the final recommendations for treatment and the ultimate decision that both physicians and patients with RA can then come up with, and that both parties are indeed engaged in the same process and not just the physician's preferences are taken more seriously or taken more into account than the patient preferences. It should be a, a, an issue of at least equalizing them as much as we can. How can shared decision-making affect the overall management of RA? Well, shared decision-making allows the physicians 
to understand where their patient stands in regard to their knowledge about the disease and the treatment options. This information will allow physicians to know in which way they can engage patients in shared decision-making, as not all patients are the same. As a result of a shared decision-making process, I would say that definitely patients will feel involved in the decision-making and they will be more committed to treatment than if this is something that is imposed by their treating rheumatologist. Therefore, the more the patient is involved in the decision-making, even waiting or delaying treatment, or going ahead with initiating treatment right away should still be respected as long also as the patients understand what are they saying no to and understand that there are consequences of no treatment and there are consequences of treatment as well and that the risks and benefits have been well informed to the patient in that way even if the patient say no to is still power to the patient. And I will say that that is important in the, in the shared decision-making to respect those preferences, but not necessarily because they say, no, I don't agree with this treatment means that we cannot keep educating our patients or we should keep reinforcing the need of treatment because there might be also another issue that patients do not understand the long-term consequences of going without treatment, which is something that I think it happens frequently in clinical care of patients with rheumatoid arthritis. What are the key takeaways for rheumatologists to know about shared decision-making in RA? I would say that first, it facilitates the patient understanding of the rheumatoid arthritis, the course of rheumatoid arthritis without treatment, and how treatment can change this natural course of rheumatoid arthritis. This is a very important process that we should engage our patients before even engaging on treatment recommendations and treatment options. Number two, I would say shared decision-making allows for a thorough explanation of recent benefits of treatment uh, recommendation and how their doctor will be the person in charge of the treatment plan once a decision is made. This is important because our study with focus groups on data collection at home by patients, patients found that their physician was the most important source of information, the rheumatologist, and they trust their rheumatologist more than any other doctor. So this is a great opportunity for rheumatologists to make sure that we are as engaged with the patient in the treatment decisions so that patients can be more engaged in adherence with treatment. Lastly, shared decision-making is very complicated. As I said, time is a big limitation. But we have found also that some patients cannot articulate very well their preferences and goals. So we need to be cognizant about this population. This is particularly the case for individuals from underrepresented minority groups who had been deprived of adequate education and where cultural values regarding health and healthcare system differs from those in academia and the medical field in general. By this, I mean that some of my patients from underrepresented minority group or even immigrants do not know how to read or write. Then how am I going to elicit the uh, 
their preferences or their goals. And that is still a challenge and we should still make an effort on doing that. That is one of the gaps that our patient activated learning system or palsforhealth.com is trying to accomplish by not only creating text, but videos that patients that cannot read can at least understand the content of the information. And it is actually a patient-directed literature that is evidence-based. Building trust in some of these patients is the best contribution that we clinicians can offer some patients. Another group of patients to take into consideration are those from vulnerable populations, such as those disabled, those with cognitive decline, again, undocumented immigrants, and even former prisoners trying to incorporate themselves into life out of prison. I have experience with all of these patients, and the challenge in engaging in shared decision-making is almost impossible. But it's, like I said, it's almost. It's still possible. It will take time, and time will also open them up as long as we as physicians open the door for them to express themselves to us in a respectful way. So. Shared decision-making can be easier in some population, but we cannot abandon this older vulnerable population, even their relatives, because some patients with cognitive decline is the caregiver, the one that is actually actively involved. And they still need to be a shared decision-making, but in this case, with a proxy, the caregiver. One of the ways to actually facilitate this shared decision-making is by sort of conducting a needs assessment or an environmental assessment of what is the patient's situation. For example, understanding what were the patient's experiences, what are their lifestyles, how is their social environment, and how would the seat plays a role in their health. First, as far as, as we are making actually still our treatment recommendation, because we still need to treat our patients no matter what, but probably we can come or bring them into a more formal conversation in the decision-making as time goes by, if we understand these or their lifestyles and their background and their circumstances a little bit better than just writing them off, oh, this is what you're going to take, period, then impose a paternalistic approach with these patients. Uh, we should be, I think, limited as much as possible. So... Again, your decision-making is a complex component of treatment patients in general, more so for patients with rheumatoid arthritis, and we still have a long way to go um, in, in incorporating that. And again, it depends on the uh, practices where we uh, are located, either academia, uh, community hospitals, county hospitals, veteran health administration, creates another different layer where shared decision-making is not a one-size-fits-all, and it should be more of a dynamic approach to meet the preferences of each clinician practice style uh, and also the patient's uh, circumstances, preferences, goals. Thank you very much.